1. It says, this letter is from Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, I mean, if you ever wanted to undersell who you were, this is how to do it. If you ever wanted to say humbly, or almost too humbly, it seems, who you were, this is how you do it. He's saying, he's a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, he forgets to mention one thing. Jude is the half-brother of Jesus wouldn't that be a greater introduction? Hey, you want to have street cred in the church? Yeah, Jesus is my half-brother. I mean, he doesn't get any better than that, but he doesn't say that. So Jesus had half-brothers and sisters. They didn't believe in Jesus for most of Jesus' ministry. But after Jesus died and rose again, they believed it was the resurrection that had Jesus' half-brothers and sisters come into the fold and say, we're followers of him now. I suppose that would work the same for you, wouldn't it? I mean, if your sibling said that they were the son of God, I think, I, I mean, I would disbelieve them. I think of all, I have six siblings. There's not a one of them that I would believe that from. <laughs> I have reasons. But if they predicted their death, the means of their death, how they were going to die, how long they were going to stay dead, and that they were going to come back to life, and then it happened, I'd have to reconsider. But boy, can you imagine growing up with a sibling who was perfect? Oh, maybe you did. <laughs> how many of you grew up, you grew up with a, a brother or sister, and you figure your parents thought they were just a little bit more perfect than you were. Anyone have that experience? You can say, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you are sitting with family this morning? <laughs> if you are, just turn to your family, a family member. You can pick if you've got one on each, either side. Just turn to them right now, and we're just going to have a moment of reality. And I want you to say to them, you're not perfect. Just do that right now. Just do that right now. <laughs> How'd that feel? <laughs> now, if you didn't participate, but someone just turned to you right now and said you weren't perfect and you're a little miffed, you just respond graciously and say, I know. I know I'm not perfect because I'm related to you. <laughs> it must have been difficult for Jude to grow up with a perfect brother. <laughs> But when he saw the proof of the resurrection, he believed. Back to what he says in Jude 1.1. This letter is from Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and, a, and the brother of James, who's another half-brother of Jesus. I'm writing to all who are called to live in the love of God the Father and in the care of Jesus Christ. We're called to live in the love of God the Father and in the care of Jesus Christ. So what's a, what are we learning about our calling? We're called to a relationship. We're called to enjoy a relationship with God. It's your number one calling. So it's the first. Now, we're not called to a role primarily or a responsibility or a bunch of rules or to regulations or to a ritual or to a religion. It's a relationship. This might surprise some of you. You say, well, Christianity is a religion. Well, it centers on a relationship. 
God sent Jesus so that you could have a relationship with God. And because God is love, he wants you to learn to experience his love. So, what kind of relationship is it? What one word would sum up the essential starting place of this relationship? Am I his slave? Am I his servant? Am I his soldier? His employee? His minion? What, what's this relationship? What's the, what's the beginning place? Romans 1.7 says, Dear friends in Rome, God loves you dearly. And, has, and he has called you to be his very own people. He's called you to be his very own people. Here's another great uh, verse. First John 3, 1. I've got it in the Amplified here because it's sort of fun in the Amplified. What an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us that we should be named and called and counted the children of God. And so we are. We're named the children of God. We're called the children of God. We're counted the children of God because we are the children of God. So what, what sums up that relationship? God wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. He wants you to be his child. So we're called to experience the love of God. So why would God make us his child? I mean, God, we, we learn in the, by reading the Bible that God's love is extravagant. God's love is lavish. God's love is beyond comprehension. He loves us on our good days and our bad days. When you feel it and when you don't feel it. When you think you deserve it and when you don't think you deserve it. You can't make God stop loving you. And God will never love you any more than he does this second. God will never love you any less than he does this second. Because God's love is not based on who you are or what you do. It's based on who he is. And we found out God is his love. So our number one calling is life and not to do something, to impress God with what you do. Your number one calling is life is to receive something, to let God love you. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, it's Paul praying. He says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. In other words, you're getting more and more comfortable with Jesus in your life. May your roots go down deep in the soil of God's marvelous love. So your, your life needs to be rooted in this love of God. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. And may you experience the love of Christ. Not just know about it, or accept it sort of like a, oh, that's a, a fact, that God loves me. Yeah, I've known that since I was a kid. Uh, you know, or I've heard that before, or, you know, many times. But to experience it. Why is Paul fervently praying about this? Like if he, you know, if it was just the fact that they need to know that God loves them, he could have simply said, by the way, for your information, God loves you. But no, he says, I pray. I pray that you'll know it. You'll understand it. You'll experience it. I pray this would be a tangible reality in your life. That something with inside of you would respond to the love of God. That you'd open up to the love of God like a flower does in the spring to the sun. 
I pray this would be real for you. May you experience, this is the rest of it, may you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. (laughs) You know, our brains don't have the capacity to fully understand how much God loves us, but you can experience it. And you can understand it much more than you do now. And that's our, that's, we're called to that. There's that phrase in there, understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. I read a few different commentators, and everybody loves having fun with this part because it's like, well, what does that mean? Like, it's just, you know, the dimensions of God's love. Do you really know what is that? How wide is God's love? I mean, it's wide enough to be everywhere. Right? Where can I, Jesus, uh, David said in the Psalms, where can I go from God's presence? And the answer basically in a long psalm is nowhere. So God's presence is everywhere. Everywhere. Right? He's at that party where everybody's stone cold drunk. His, his presence is there. He's in the ghetto. He's in the red light district. He's in the woods where someone's all alone. He's, he, his, his love is wide enough to be everywhere. Now the thing about it is you might say, well, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sensing God's love or anything like that. Um, do you know right now there are radio waves that are actually going through this room? And I'm pretty sure as far as I understand scientifically, they actually are going through us. Did you hear, have you heard that? There's a radio wave. There's a song going right through me right now. Several songs, right? Some of them I don't even like. They're just going through me. Fascinating. But the thing, I can't sense those radio waves unless I have a receiver. I have to have something that can receive it. And then not, that's not enough because I, still, if I want to hear that song, I've got to tune in. That's a little bit how it is with God, too. His, his love is beaming at you full force. But are, are you ready to receive it? Are you tuning into it? It's there. There's no place where you can go where God's love is not. It's wide enough to be everywhere. How long is God's love? It's long enough to last forever. Now that makes it different than human love. Because sometimes human love wears out. We've all probably experienced that in different ways. But his is eternal. God loves you with an everlasting love. It's long enough to last forever. How deep is God's love? Well, it's deep enough to handle anything. No matter what your pain, your problems, your hurt, God's love is deeper still. You say, I hit bottom. I'm in the pit of despair. God's love goes deeper than that. It's lower than your problems. There's no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper. It's deeper than any problem you're going to have. It's deep enough to handle anything. How about height? How high is God's love? I think, you know, I think of height, I think of uh, the euphoria of, of, you know, just like, you know, sometimes you'd say, like, how, how do you feel today? I feel like I'm on cloud nine. Right? What are we expressing? Are we, we're saying, it's like there's an altitude to my feelings today. <laughs> 
There's a euphoria of how great I feel because of this. And I think as much as God's love is there for us in our times of pain, God's love is there in our times of jubilation and excitement. So here's the question I'd like to ask. How would your life change? How would your life be different or be transformed if you were if you were, began to be aware of God's unconditional, continuous, and never-ending love for you? How would your life change if in the first thing you got up in the morning, you, you felt, I'm deeply and unconditionally loved by God? When you got out of bed, or when you're in the shower, or when you're eating your breakfast, or you're in your car going to work, or school, or when you come home, you're watching TV, or you're working out in the, in the yard, or... But all that time, you're sensing God's love. You're aware of it all the time. How would that change your life? How would it change your life? I want to give you five suggestions on how I think it might change your life. Five practical ways when you become aware that you're unconditionally, deeply, and eternally loved by God. I think the first one is you'd feel accepted rather than ashamed. Most people go through their entire life avoiding God. Even some Christians go through vast stretches of their life, even though they are believers in God, still avoiding God. And the reason they avoid God is because they're ashamed. They feel ashamed. They feel guilty under condemnation. They think God's perfect. I'm not so perfect. So why in the world would I want to hang out with a perfect God who's going to simply remind me of all the ways that I failed? But we get hints in the Bible that help us to understand God's approach to us. Jesus said in John uh, 3.17, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. And we're, sin already has condemnation attached, right? When you do something wrong, you know. You know that was wrong. You feel guilt over it. That's all legitimate. That's just part of the package. But Jesus didn't come to heap shame and shame and shame on top of that. He actually came to save us from that. I think it's a little bit like a parent. Um, when you see, I mean, you have a child and you dearly love this child, and yet at the same time, they have behaviors that you really hate. I mean, maybe not your kid. <laughs> I mean, like, what if you have this cute little cherub of a child and they've already picked up a habit of compulsive lying? You don't love compulsive lying, you hate it. But you love them. What if, what if you have a kid who's stealing? Or, or they're, they're, they're lashing out physically against others or whatever it is. It's like you think, oh, how can, I, how can I fix this? This child I dearly love, I love so much. I give my life for this child. How can I separate them from this behavior? What parenting technique can I use? What approach can I bring? What teaching can I, I bring? What reproof or what, what discipline? What can I bring so that my child doesn't live in this their whole life? I, I think that's a, just a, a little bit of how God feels about us, right? Here's this creation that he created and that he loves and, he's, he's, and yet... We, don't, we are not receiving his love because we're in sin. And the guilt and shame that come with sins is also causing us to avoid God. So now we've, this sin has drawn a wedge between us and God. 
Isaiah 59.1 says, our sin has separated us from God. And then God wants to do a reversal of that. He wants to come into our lives in such a way, and he wants to separate us from sin. And that can't be done by just a list of, you know, pull up your socks and do better and behave better because we're under the power of sin, the Bible says. And so we, need, we don't just need, um, you know, a what-to-do list of how to behave. We need a Savior to save us from the power of sin. We need someone to break that authority off of our lives and for us to come unto a whole new authority, one that isn't an authority that leads to death, but an authority that leads to life. We need to come into the rule of reign in Jesus Christ instead of the rule of sin in our lives. And so, like a good parent, he comes along and he, 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 prepares, he makes it possible for us to be separated from the penalty of our sin, for the power of sin to be broken over our lives, and the promise that someday we'll be separated from the presence of sin in his presence. And he does that through Jesus Christ. He does that through Jesus Christ. And as we receive that, as we receive that, what he's done for us, we recognize it was necessary. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And it was enough. What Jesus did on the cross was enough to save me. I don't need to add to it with my religious observances or all those extra things to make myself right with God. I'm fully trusting in what Jesus has done. We enter into this whole new experience, this whole new life. We become his son or his daughter. And there's no condemnation. Why? Because we've come to him for forgiveness. And he has offered it. Romans, or Romans 5.1 says this, By faith we've been made acceptable by God. And now, because of Lord Jesus Christ, we live in peace with Him. It's possible for humans to live at peace with God. And, it's called, and, and it says, I love this, made acceptable by God. There's a song we used to sing back in the 80s. Nope, 90s. 90s, got to get it right. I'm accepted by the one who matters most. And it was just like a simple song, but it really... It echoes some other verses in Scripture, Romans 8, 33, 34. If God says his chosen ones are acceptable to him or accepted by him, can anyone bring charges against him? The answer is no. Or can anyone condemn them? No. No, indeed. Now, you say, well, you mean people can't actually bring charges against you? They can't actually condemn you? That's not what it's saying. It's saying that Does that criticism really stick? Does that condemnation really belong? No, it doesn't. And if you're accepted by God, if God loves you, and you know it deeply, you have an incredible protection against criticism, incredible protection against condemnation. I mean, you still mess up. And so people might point that out for you. And that's legit. And you should fix that when it happens. But the fact is that the, the headline story of your life is you're accepted by God. And so if you're not accepted by people, but you're loved by God, 
It's almost like that headline is so big. Another thing is so small by comparison. Because we feel accepted rather than ashamed in the presence of God because of his love. Number two, when I experience the unconditional love of God on a daily, moment-by-moment basis, I become bold in bringing my needs to God. When my kids were little, well, I've got two batches. I've got an older batch and a little batch, and so now they're still, I've got little again. They'd come to me and they'd ask me anything. They assumed I had everything, that I knew everything, and that I could afford everything. Now, you and I know that's not true. All three of those are not true. But with God, it is true. It is true with God. And so, here's Romans 8, 14, 15, 17. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, so they should not be cowering like fearful slaves. They should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. Another translation says Abba Father, which is Aramaic word. For father. Now, there's a movie, I don't know how many of you have seen it, the movie Lincoln, about Abraham Lincoln. Anyone seen that movie? Okay, not too many. Okay. In the movie Lincoln, um, one of the neat features of the movie is here's Lincoln, and he's deliberating with, you know, the Secretary of War, Secretary of Defense, and, and whoever. And in the movie, there's a couple different scenes where his son, Tad, just walks into the room. And what does Abraham Lincoln do? He just Picks him up, puts him on his lap, and starts to talk to him. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the most pivotal moments in U.S. history. And he takes time to talk to Tad. And then Tad goes out again. And then a little while later, Tad comes in. And he was pulling a little wagon. And, oh, what are you doing now, Tad? I, can bet. I mean, here's all these important men in the room who are making significant decisions about the history of the United States. And Abraham Lincoln keeps talking to Tad. Why? Because for Tad, that's his dad. It's not the president. Not Abraham Lincoln, that famous man. It's just like, that's my dad. And Tad has an all-access pass to his dad. You have that with God. An all-access pass. I mean, you go to God in prayer. It's not like saying, hey, i got really important people talking to me in prayer. I, I Check back in three months. No. We become bold in asking things of God and coming with our prayer needs. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence or boldness in other translations so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You need to be bold in your prayer. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. If you're a son or daughter of God, you, you can ask anything in his name, and you should. You should come before him with confidence. Here's the third one. When I understand God's love and I experience it, I have peace in pain that I don't understand. You're going to have a lot of things happen in your life you don't understand. You're going to ask a lot of why questions. Why did this happen? Why did that, those things happen? Now, I'll tell you something that might startle you. God doesn't actually owe us an explanation for why he allows anything. I'm not saying he's heartless. I'm just saying he doesn't owe you an explanation. And I'll also tell you, not everything that happens in this world is God's will. I mean, there's, he hates evil, and there's lots of evil done in our world. And if we sometimes think, well, why doesn't God just take away the evil? Well, I suppose he could take away all of our choices. He could make us puppets. 
Because to take away all the evil in the world, he would have to take away some of the evil that I do. Some of the evil that we do. And so he made us people with choice. It's a, it's a significant thing that we have free will, uh, the ability to choose, because we can choose evil. Or we can choose good. But he loves us. He, 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 he gives us this choice so we can voluntarily choose him. To choose him. When you go through things in your life that you don't understand, sometimes you, you fight to understand it. I want to understand it. I want to know why. I want to know why. And some of those things you'll never know why to. And here's the other thing that might startle you is that even if you did know why, it may not bring you any peace. You know, sometimes we, like, you think about having a friend pass away. They go to the hospital. A doctor comes out and tells you they've passed away. Why? Why? Well, sometimes... They don't know why. Something stopped working inside the body and it's hard for them to know that. Sometimes they do know why. Like if your loved one has passed away, and let's just say a doctor could give you every answer you wanted about the why. This is exactly what happened in their body. This is exactly why it happened. This is exactly when it happened. This is exactly, exactly, exactly. Would it bring you peace? No. You'd still be grieving. So getting the why for all things isn't what we need. What we need is peace that passes the things we don't understand. Peace that goes above and beyond those things. We need to have peace in the scenarios where we just don't know why. We need to have peace in the scenarios where we do know why. We need peace. Philippians 4, 7 says, you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand, and his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You don't need, what you need is not an explanation. You need the presence of God. Sometimes, I was just thinking about, sometimes when I I haven't known why things have happened, so one of the things that helps me is to really just think about the fact that God can handle this. This is how we function when we're children. This is how we function. Something happened. Does dad have this? Does mom have this? Do they have this under control? They do? Oh, good. I can go back to playing with my Lego. Right? And there's moments where mom and dad don't have it under control. And as you mature and grow up, you realize mom and dad don't know everything and can't handle everything and they're very human and you've got to learn to give them grace. And, you know, it's a whole journey, right? But sometimes in your life, does God have this? Can my father handle this? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Do I know why it's happening? No. Or Yes. But we need to know, my father can handle this. He can handle anything. So God's love does not exempt you from pain in this life. Being a Christian does not exempt you from pain in your life. You experience the same problems that people who aren't Christians do. The difference is we get the peace that passes understanding, where we can trust God in a moment where everything is falling apart around us. Romans 8.28, we know in all things, including the bad things, 
God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called. There's that word again, called. Who've been called according to his purpose. So when we live the calling that God's given us, we live out our purpose, we, we let God love us, and we love God back, we can know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. And that gives us peace that passes understanding. Here's the fourth thing that happens when I know I'm totally loved by God. I gain the courage to take risks. I gain the courage to take risks in my life. I was watching a YouTube video. A little boy, his name was Malachi Paul, and he was on Britain's Got Talent. Anyone watch those obsessively for like more than too long in your life? Anyhow, I was watching this, and he's nine years old, a little boy, and he comes out to sing in front of the huge auditorium of people. And um, his, his, he's got his mom, his single mom, is just over there in the, in the wings, you know, with the, the two guys who are always standing there. Anyhow, he comes out, he starts singing, and he's a couple lines, and he starts to hit wrong notes, and he starts to choke, and then he starts to cry. Nine-year-old boy, in front of all these people, just starting to cry. And his mom rushes out. She rushes out from the sides, and she comes right in front of him, and she hugs him, and because she's taller, she just blocks out the crowd. And then she just hugs him. It's okay, it's okay, it's all right, it's okay. And then one of the judges wanders up from the panel and just says, not Simon Cowell, one of the nice judges. Anyhow, comes up and says, do you want to start again? And he says, I want to start again. Okay, okay. You can do it, honey, you can do it. So they go back, and then he sings again. And he nails the song. Just nails the song, and that's why I'm watching this video, and that's why. Yeah, what do you know? It's awesome. You know, when someone loves you, you can start over. That's what your Heavenly Father is trying to say to you today. You might be 15, or you might be 50, or you might be 95. I don't know. 62. 62. Preach. <laughs> you may have rest, messed up some stuff royally. Maybe things that you, you, put, you did your best shot and it just didn't go very well. And I think your father wants to come to you and say, it's okay. You can start over. And this time I'll help you. We'll do it together. It's not too late to start over. I don't think any of us have any idea how many times our Heavenly Father has wanted to reach out and grasp us in his arms when we felt like we blew it. Maybe you blew it publicly, or maybe you blew it privately. It just didn't work. And your Heavenly Father says, it's okay, we'll start over, and this time we'll do it together. A fresh start in life, a fresh start even with God. I see this in the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, 27. He says, he's looking over the city of Jerusalem, and this is what he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you. So God had sent messengers to them and they'd rejected them. They blew it. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. There's a longing in God to gather us when we fail, but even when we reject him. Even when we've disobeyed Him. Even when we've strayed from Him. Even when we've disregarded Him. Or disrespected Him. There's a longing in God still to gather us. And I think, in a way, 
Again, Jesus tells the story of being the prodigal son and the son who goes away and disregards the father and disrespects him. And, and yet the father was waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. In fact, he's waiting so well that when the moment comes that the son begins to walk home, he spots him and runs to him. He's ready for the moment. I mean, for some of you, God's been waiting for a moment like this your whole life. He's been waiting for this moment where you, for the first time, would get a little inkling of how much he loves you. And you don't even know how much he loves you. If you did know how much he loves you, you couldn't help but love him. And sometimes the reason why we've been afraid to surrender our lives to God is because we don't know how much he loves us. Or we don't trust that he knows what's best for us. But nobody knows what's best for us better than God. So here comes God, willing to come in the front door of our life to drive fear out the back door, to give us a fresh start, to make us his child. So how do I become a son? How do I become a daughter of God? How do I become a child of God? The Bible says in John 1.12, to all who believed him, that's Jesus, and accepted him, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Do you want to experience that in your life? Do you want to walk in that? Do you want that today? I want to lead you in a little prayer. I've got a little bit more to say after it, but I want to lead you in a, in a little prayer in a moment here. Last week, I had my I had the incredible privilege of interviewing my son, Javen, up here. And uh, so some of you were here for last week, so you would have heard the story, but I'll just recap it for those of you who didn't. He was getting to a point in his life where I think he was sort of on the fence in some things as far as God was concerned. And he started to sort some things out, and he had some, some things in his past that were, were uh, troubling him and vexing him, and he's trying to figure it all out. And then uh, this moment came. This moment came, and he shared last week, he said, God spoke to me, and here was the message that God spoke to my son. I want you in my family. That's what he heard. I want you in my family. And he didn't say it last week, but he shared this with me, that what came out of him the response that came out of him was, I want to be in your family. God wants you to be in his family. Is there a matching response that's coming out of you now to say that you want that, that you want to be a part of his family? If that's there, I'm going to just lead you in a prayer right now. Okay, I'll just... In fact, I'm going to invite everybody to repeat this after me. For some of you, you've done this many times before. For some of you, this will be a first time. You might be saying, I want that fresh start with God. I want to experience God's love in my life. I want to be his son. I want to be his daughter. I want him to forgive my sin. Give me a whole new start with him. I want him to lead my life. Would you repeat this after me? Let's just do it together. Dear Father, thank you that you love me. 
and made me to receive your love in relationship with you. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life as your child that honors you in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. You know, when they, um, I was reading it this week, it just struck me. That whole thing about understanding the depth and the width and the height and uh, the length of the love of God. Throughout church history, there's been many people who've read that and they haven't had, you know, sort of catchy ways to sort of encapsulate it, sort of like I shared this morning. But many people just really visualize Christ on the cross at that moment. They think about, you know, if we're talking about the width and the depth and all those things, they're just thinking about Jesus stretched between two nails. The width and the depth, and then they talk, or I mean, the, the width and the length. And then the depth, they just picture his feet again nailed. And then the height, they just see him with a crown of thorns above. I want to tell you, for some of you, you know, you may have prayed a prayer here to start something brand new, but some of you just need a fresh experience of the love of God. You need a fresh experience of the love of God. And I want to tell you, I'm going to tell you a couple ways you can do this on your own, but then I'm just, um, we'll have an opportunity here to respond. I invite the worship team. If you guys just come right back right now, that'd be great. So, if you want to experience the love of God, probably one of the biggest things that's stopping you from experiencing it is you're way too busy. You're way too busy. I went out to, I took a, a one-day retreat this week. I went out to Riverhurst, which has a little Christian retreat center there. I got the place all to myself. So I went out on the deck. And as I went out on the deck in the little town of Riverhurst, I stood there for 20 minutes. Not a car passed. I didn't see another human being. In fact, I saw no evidence of life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, human life. I mean, there's houses all around me and stuff like that. But you know what I, you know what I, you know what I got? I heard birds singing. I heard tons of snow drips coming off of rooftops. Drip, 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 drip. Just water everywhere. And I heard one very lonely dog complaining and complaining and complaining. <laughs> 20 minutes. Be still and know that I am God. It's sort of like God wants to hug you and you just keep running around the room and you, it's like you never settle into receiving it. So you've got to slow down. I encourage you, that's one, is one way you can, if you want to experience the love of God more in your life, I encourage you to slow down and reflect on what Christ has done for you. The Bible says this is what we know, and this is how we know what love is. That Christ died for us. When we reflect on God's ultimate expression of love for us, Christ going to the cross to take upon himself the sins of the world and to offer in exchange 
his perfect obedience, his righteous track record, so that we could stand before God someday like a person who's never sinned. We can stand before God like a person who's always obeyed because we receive the righteousness of Christ, and that's what he did. He always obeyed. Reflect on his sacrifice, and that's what has happened throughout church history. People just reflected on Jesus on the cross and what he's done for us, and until that begins to get into us, you did that for me. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You laid down your life for me. You gave yourself for me. Incredible love. Incredible love. So that's a, you can do that on your own. But this morning, maybe you just say, want to say, I, I'm going to invite you just to stand right now. I you to stand. I'm going to say, I need a new experience of the love of God. We've got time here this morning. We've got time to be still before God. These guys are going to lead us in worship in a moment here. But I'm going to say, if you need a, a brand new experience of the love of God in your life, I'm going to invite you to come right to the front. You say, I, you know, I've known the love of God. I've experienced it before. Or maybe you've never experienced it before. But you say, I just need it. I need to know a new experience of the love of God in my life. And we'll pray for you here. Down this, and we'll pray all together. So if you're that way, I invite you to come. We'll pray for you. Okay? Let's sing this song. But come if you need it.